standard issue for all women. Hello, as you might have guessed from the title of this episode, it's Jen here to tell you all about the podcast you're about to listen to, my Jenny Off The Blocks Review of the Year 2022. OMG, what a year. We had the Euro, of course we had the Euro, and you're going to be hearing a bit more about that in a minute, so get ready for that. But we had so much more besides. We had the Cricket World Cup, the Rugby World Cup, both of which took place in New Zealand, both of which were close but no cigar for our respective England teams. We also had the shocking retirement of Ash Barty from women's tennis after winning the Australian Open, and the not-so-shocking retirement of Serena Williams after not winning the US Open. We had an awful lot of chat about Emma Raducanu being a one-hit wonder. We had the Commonwealth Games and a resplendent Eilish McColgan at the Athletics World Championships, and we had an inaugural Tour de France Femme. We had a lot. So you can imagine the dilemma I'm presenting in this special episode as I ask England women's cricket captain Heather Knight, American football coach and Sky Sports pundit Phoebe Schechter, England rugby Shauna Brown and Eurosport cycling presenter Orla Shenawy for their highlights of the year. I'm not going to tell you what mine is, though we did have a little chat about it in our 2022 review of the year, which we've recorded exclusively for our Patreon subscribers, but you know you could make some educated guesses. While I'm here, I was absolutely delighted to see Women's Euro Golden Boot winner Beth Mead win tonight as I record this BBC Sports Personality of the Year award. I would just like to point out that I predicted this on the last podzine of the year, and I think that might be the first time I've made an accurate sporting prediction on the podcast. So maybe this is, in fact, my sporting highlight of the year. That and the book I wrote. Available to buy at all good bookshops, etc. I'm not doing that again, don't worry. I loved chatting to all of these brilliant and super inspiring women. Since we recorded this, Shauna has announced her retirement from her playing career, which is kind of sad, but I can't wait to see what she gets up to next. So if it sounds a little bit out of date, two weeks is a long time in sport. Anyway, enough of me weighing on. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed chatting to these brilliant women. I'm joined by Heather Knight, captain of the England women's cricket team. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi. Hi, Dan. Good. Thank you. What's a year for women's cricket? There have been obviously some highs and some lows. The Ashes didn't go as well as we might have hoped. Second in the World Cup, but to a very worthy opponent again in Australia. What have been the highlights for you personally this year? Oh, good question. Um, I think... Although it was quite a, a disappointment personally, missing out to injury, I think the Commonwealth Games and seeing the amount of support that we had, obviously at home, Commonwealth, the crowds that came in to support Edgebaston, just brilliant, really. And to be a part of a multi-sport event was, was just amazing. Being injured was, was obviously really disappointing for me personally and um, a real shame, but I, I was able to stay with the squad, even though I missed out and experienced the home Commonwealth Games, which, um, yeah, something I never thought as a cricketer, we'd ever been involved in. And um, yeah, just to be part of Team England, be involved in things like the opening ceremony and uh, walking around uh, the stadium out in the suburbs of Birmingham and, and just being a part of that was uh, super special. Obviously, listeners can't see your face, but you're, you're beaming a little bit when you're talking about that. So that must have been like an incredible experience. Is that the first time cricket's been part of the Commonwealth Games? Yeah, the first time. So just women's T20 cricket was involved this year. And yeah, the, the opening ceremony was just crazy, just a massive big show and, and just walking into the stadium with all the other athletes from all the other countries, just something we've never experienced because cricket's never been involved in any sort of multi-sport events in, in my lifetime. So um, yeah, it was, it was super special and just getting to hang out with all the other athletes and soak up the atmosphere at Birmingham in the city was, was just, yeah, a lot of fun. So can we talk just briefly about this sort of global scene in terms of, of cricket at the moment because England is one of the sort of first professionalised squads I guess and that's been improving like year on year for the, for the last few years. Do you think that the other teams now are starting to catch up? The amount of professional teams around the, the world are really starting to grow uh, which is a great thing. I think it's a really exciting time for women's cricket. Uh, there's a lot of global T20 leagues that are going to start up which are going to change the game, I think. Uh, you've got the IPL, PSL, um, things like Fairbreak that have, that have popped up in the last year or so. And 
things like that are going to going to really push the game forward. I think it will change the game in in some positive ways and probably some negative ways. But um, yeah, I think having a global game that is healthy and and there's opportunities for for people from other countries is important. But yeah, as, as an England side, I guess we're we're just trying to keep our standards really high and, and keep pushing the bar and. and our ultimate goal is to, to be the best in the world. So, um, yeah, that's always what we're aiming towards. And what about visibility of the sport? Because I think, you know, you hear more and more and more about it. There's obviously Sky Sports has, you know, a, a channel for cricket. People can watch it a lot more on the TV. Have you noticed that's having a big impact on, on the interest in, in the sport? Yeah, hugely. Uh, I think certainly this summer, I noticed a lot more girls then and girls that, weren't just dragged along by their dads who didn't know what was going on, girls that idolised the players and um, had a real vested interest in it. And, and I think, to be honest, the 100 in this country has had a huge impact on that, just in terms of raising the visibility, being alongside the men's competition, being on various TV platforms, Sky, uh, one of those, and, and BBC Terrestrially, it's made a huge difference. And yeah, there's a, there's a real momentum, I think, behind women's sport at the moment, and, and young girls are seeing sport as a, as a place for them and somewhere they can be involved in so cricket is no different to that and and yeah certainly it being more visible is is pushing hopefully more people to get involved in sport in general I don't want to push you in any specific direction here but obviously as an English woman who plays for an England side across women's sport in general has there been a highlight for you this year it can be any sport at all Oh, it's, pretty, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? But the Lionesses uh, win, winning the Euros was pretty remarkable. I went to the first game at Old Trafford and just yeah, seeing that sold out and, and the buzz that there was around the country, just outside of sport as well. And um, yeah, it was was a real highlight, I think, and, and has really helped to change perception. I, I think things like that are really pushing women's sport forward. I, I think we saw it probably in 2012 with the Olympics and the hockey girls and the netball and, and hopefully we've played our part as well. Like winning big competitions like that really helps to put women's sport in the mainstream and, and gets people talking about it and people involved in it. And yeah, as a fan, it was just quality, wasn't it? Seeing that, that final goal and, and watching the, the stadium and the country and uh, everyone that was watching go mad. We were no different. We were at the Commonwealth Games watching as a team uh, going mental. So um, yeah, that was certainly the highlight. Did you have a little cry? I, I'm not too proud to admit that I had a little cry. <laughs> I didn't actually because I, I messed up. So I ordered an, an Uber Eats because we we uh, were obviously in the village and we had to go collect it. So I, I panicked because I ordered it like literally just as the crescendo was coming. Um, <laughs> so I was, I was a little bit sad that my food was cold. But um, no, no cry. Just a, a, just a sense of pride, I think. And yeah, just really chuffed for the girls and getting them to have that moment of elation is very special. So yeah, just really pleased I got to watch and, and be involved in it. No one wants to eat cold pizza, do they? So Heather, what are you looking forward to next year? You've got your first home five-day women's ashes coming up. That's going to be a big deal, right? Yeah, really excited. Anytime you play in an ashes series is brilliant. And it's the first time we've played at really big grounds and, and in prime sort of watching slots I guess which is great news I, I think the ticket sales from what I've heard have already been awesome so hopefully we can pack out those crowds and, and play some really really good cricket um, yeah so that's a, a massive highlight and we've also got a T20 World Cup in February in South Africa Obviously Australia when you think of men's cricket you think of Australia as the kind of like the, the fierce rivals of the England men's team is it the same with the women's team do you do you sort of see them as, as the big main rivals really is it all like quite good, good natured, or, or do, does it get a little bit snarky sometimes? No, they're, they're definitely the rivals, and I think the success they've had in the world game, um, they've kind of set the standards the last few years. So it feels like we've been chasing them a little bit, but obviously the plan is to try and catch up and go ahead of them. But yeah, so it's always the toughest test when you go up against Australia, um, and I wouldn't say it's got too spicy, but it's always super competitive. Everyone's def- desperate to win and plays really hard cricket so um, yeah that's always a, a good one and we have a pretty good rivalry with India as well so um, yeah they're the, the big two games and, and series that you look forward to I guess. Okay so we'll look forward to watching the, the T20 World Cup in February and of course the Ashes later on in the year and as you said tickets are on sale now and if anyone listening wants to buy them they can go and find out more information at ecb.co.uk forward slash tickets forward slash England. Heather thank you very much for joining me and all, all the best. Nice one thanks for having me Jen. 
I am absolutely delighted to say that I am joined by Team GB's American football coach and NFL and Sky Sports pundit, Phoebe Schechter. Hello, Phoebe. Hello, how are you? It's so nice to be able to chat with you today. I'm really excited to chat to you because I spoke to one of your colleagues, Hannah Wilkes, not that long ago, and she was telling me about you. And I thought, oh my gosh, she sounds interesting. So I'm I'm really happy to be joined by you today, Phoebe. I just wanted to start by asking you a little bit about what you've been doing in the NFL, because you're a bit of a pioneer in terms of, obviously, you're, you're coaching here at the moment, but you were the third woman and the first woman from the UK to coach in the NFL for like a men's team, which is pretty rare in sport in general. I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I guess part of what makes my story so unique is that I was living in the States with my accent (laughs) uh, and I moved over to the UK literally 10 years tomorrow and I never was involved in American football. So when I moved over here, I saw an ad for American football and I wanted to use it as a way to get to know people and get a bit of American culture. And it's crazy to think that I went from that to then coaching in the NFL in such a short period of time. But for me, I think once I found the passion, everything else just kind of fell into place because everything I did was so intentional. And I thought that I couldn't play forever, even though I'm 33 and still playing, (laughs) but I thought I couldn't play forever. So that's really why I got involved in the coaching side uh, and applied for an internship with the Buffalo Bills. Crazy enough, got it. And I mean, what an amazing experience and and life-changing experience I've had just being able to coach with them. So did you have like a sports background or did you just come at it like just purely like, I want to play and that'll be a nice way of meeting some Americans in the UK, basically? Well, growing up, I've always been involved in horses. That's Mm -hmm. what moved me to the UK is I, I got a job here just after London 2012 with uh, a man on the Dutch Olympic team based in Cheshire. So I think that that's actually probably a big reason for me, at least the horse world. But I played, I, I think as an American, you're kind of born and you're given some sort of sports equipment. So you do always play sports, but I've never played contact sport before. I think it's, for me, it's always when you're out of your comfort zone, you're so much more willing to take risks. And that's really driven my life here in the UK. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? And you're coaching the Buffalo Bills. You know, that's that's crazy. I wondered if you had any insight into sort of what the the coaching scene looks like in the UK kind of more generally, because we don't see many women in coaching positions, particularly in, in men's sport. I think you will have seen as someone who is in, in the sporting world. I think it was last year now there was a big news story about how the Chelsea women's manager, Emma Hayes, was linked to a job with a like third league you know, men's team. And it was a huge story because we've never had a female manager of a men's football team here. Do you get a sense for like how things are progressing in the UK on, on that side of things? Yeah, I mean, I would say that for me... I think that really the sport wasn't offered to a lot of women, you know, whether you're looking at rugby or football, anything like that, just women haven't had those opportunities. And that's already the first barrier to participation is how do we get more women involved, even from a playing, from a admin, whatever that looks like, just get them around it and get the kids around women equally as much, you know, have little boys and girls seeing that women can be on the sidelines or, you know, can be there to assist. I do think that the FA and rugby are doing a much better job now, but it's still very much so, you know, especially from my from, from my experiences with the FA, it's still very much so a lot of ex-players. You have to have a lot of money to complete some of these courses. So financially, there's that barrier. Um, I think there's still a bit of a an older methodology in terms of, I, I almost think it comes down to people are afraid to lose their positions. I feel like people are afraid of things that are new and people Mm. that are new and different ideas. And something that the NFL has done was creating this kind of internship, essentially, which allows and gives minorities an opportunity to see what those sport is like at the elite level. Now, if you're a woman, a woman in the UK, 
and you've never seen what a day is like in elite football, in elite rugby, in elite cricket, whatever that looks like, how do you know what you're working towards? So I think by giving people the opportunity to see what it's like, then you allow people to think, okay, I can achieve this, and then highlight those people as well. You know, I think Emma Hayes is amazing. I think we need to do a better job of highlighting what she's done because it needs to send the message to other people that, hey, you can achieve this too, and start giving young people the idea that it's normal to have women in these roles. And also, if you are a young woman, you can achieve this. But I think we're still in a place where there's very limited clubs in in really any of the sports that are very forward thinking like that and open minded to the idea that a woman can coach or that a woman can, you know, be on the sideline or be with a male team and not have it be something other than a coach player relationship. So I'm going to ask you about this year. I wanted to ask you, first of all, obviously there's been NFL matches in the UK this year, but that's been going for much longer than I realised, as I found out when I spoke to (laughs) Hannah. I wondered if you could tell me about, from your perspective, in your sporting world, in, in, in the NFL, in American football, what's been your personal sporting highlight of the year? That's tough, because I'll say it probably comes down to three um, looking at the whole year and two in the NFL. So I went to my first ever Super Bowl last February with Talk Sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just incredible. It was out in LA at SoFi Stadium and it was a Rams Bengals game. And I've just never, ever been to a Super Bowl or known what that atmosphere is like mm-hmm. in Radio Row. So that was incredible. And to be with a great team of people always makes it better. Uh, then we moved to August and for our GB women's team, we had our world championships out in Finland and we ended up coming second, which is massive. So we were playing team USA in the finals. We were tied 14, 14 at halftime. So for us, that is probably the biggest achievement of this organization and for, you know, women's sport really in this country. And then third would be working with sky this season. And we did the first Tottenham game hosting that with Neil Reynolds and Jason Bell being on site, doing it live. I've never, you know, broadcasting was never a thought that I was going to have in my future. So to be there and experience all that, I mean, it's still very much so pinch me kind of year for me because there's all these new experiences happening. And what about in sport, in, in women's sport this year in general? Like, is there a highlight of women's sport from the last year that sort of stands out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, goodness, the rugby women just coming back. I mean, that was incredible to see what they achieved out there and, and, Going back to August, we were actually in we were in Finland, but we were sat with the German American football team watching our UK women, our GB women playing Germany. I mean, that was just crazy. I mean, what they were able to do to Lionesses is amazing. And look at what that's doing for sport. I mean, you know, we look at this whole year and the amount of interest in sport. And I think it's so great to finally have people recognizing that. You know, for so long, people said, you know, nobody's interested in watching women's sport, but look at how it's taking off pack stadiums everywhere they go, um, you know, selling merchandise and tickets and getting more and more people into sport. And I think that's really important, you know, for watching the Lionesses and watching the Red Roses and, and rugby girls. Think how many more young girls have now joined sport because they want to be like those girls. And that I think is probably the biggest thing that this country needs because We've got such a uh, kind of a deficit between ages 13 and 16, really, of girls mm-hmm. dropping out of sport. Then you look at these amazing women and you get more women playing. That is incredible. <laughs> so do you think that that's the key, basically, is that we just previously young women have not felt welcome or included in sport and the more moments like that, the more lionesses moments, the more red roses moments, et cetera, et cetera. We, do you think it's just going to be a generational thing? Like the coaching side will change when more young women sort of get into and stick with sport for a longer period of time. Yeah. And I think grassroots is a great way for, for women, for anybody to get involved and build up your confidence. You know, half of, half of applying for these bigger jobs and taking these bigger risks is, Yes, you want to feel like an organization is welcoming you and welcoming the, you know, the kind of diversity. But there is a big piece on us as women, as minorities, whoever that may be, 
to put our stuffs forwards and be confident that, hey, I do have the right skill set for this job, you know, take a chance on me. And the amount of, you know, people I speak to from the FA or who are from premier football clubs that say, we just don't get any women applying. Mm. Well, that's a big problem. So it's half on us, but it is also half on, you know, the companies themselves. So finally, Phoebe, what are you looking forward to next year in terms of, of sport? Oh, um, well, I'm going to my second Super Bowl now with Sky Sports. Mm-hmm. So now from a kind of TV perspective, again, something I had no idea that I would ever do. And then selfishly, we have our European Championships in August again with flag football, which is a non-contact version of our sport. Mm-hmm. So looking to win that, ideally, uh, we also have European kind of qualifiers with our GB women's tackle team. I'm personally going to try and get to as many different women's sports this year. That's my goal. I want to go to netball. I want to go to football. I want to do basketball. So I'm going to try and make that my goal this year. But yeah, just welcoming all the sports I possibly can. <laughs> and there are loads of opportunities because we've got the Ashes next year mm-hmm. in England. We've got the Six Nations coming up in rugby. I think it might be the Women's World Cup in yeah. football next year. You know, you've got the the London Lions playing basketball in London and there are basketball teams all over the country. So there's so many opportunities to go and see sport. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot to be excited about. Phoebe, thank you so much for joining me. Can I just ask you where you are on social media so our listeners can can look you up and see what you're up to? Because it sounds like you're up to a lot. (laughs) Yeah, basically everywhere you know instagram facebook twitter all linkedin all those places and it's just my name phoebe underscore Schechter. you can also follow our women's team at bafa so bafa british american football association and that's all on instagram and twitter and all those good things we always appreciate your support brilliant phoebe thanks so much for chatting to me thanks for having me I'm joined by England and Quinns player, Shauna Brown. Hi, Shauna, how are you doing? I'm good. You can say Harlequins as well. <laughs> There's a whole variety of names for us. Okay. You went viral in 2021 after the Quinns won the Premier 15s and you made this like impassioned speech <laughs> at the end of the match uh, about you know the significance of that moment for you and, and for women's sport in general. And I was just wondering, because, you know, the the game is moving so quickly in terms of the pace of change, mm-hmm. how far do you feel like the game has come since then? It's pushed forward, but with being an elite athlete for me, it's a disease that you always want more, no matter what you have, mm. whether it's as an individual, as a club, as an organisation, even like my own performance, no matter how well I play, I'll always want to play more. And so I take that into off-pitch life, into my personal life, into work life. Like, I'll always want more. So it's going in the right direction, but for me, it's, it's not fast enough, but it's also never going to be fast enough. So I'm constantly going to be pushing for change, constantly questioning, why is this not happening? Why are we having to, to go this way? Why are we having to, I don't know, park in this car park and everyone else is here? Why are we having to do this ticketing system? Whatever it is, I'll always, I'll always want more. But that's probably says more about me as a, as a person and personality than, than it does about the game. But, yeah, it's always about more. Because you told me earlier that um, last season and this season, so for the last two seasons, for the Quins, like domestically, you've been playing all of your home mm. matches at the Stoop, which yep. is the same stadium as the, that the men play in, which is, you know, that's, that's massive in terms of what most female like team sports you know team athletes can expect so yeah. that's that's pretty cool right yeah yeah and it is and it's it's promises that the club have made and they've come through with them and sometimes there's the promises they've made and they haven't come through and there's me and, and a group of certain other players who will always remind the club of that and I like to think that we keep the club on their toes but always only for the best reasons and when things don't happen that they say we, we question it but similarly when things happen, they do say we celebrate it. And I've got to be one of the biggest advocates for Harlequins of how they support us as a women's team, of how they're trying to push us forward as a women's programme and the ambitions of being the best women's rugby programme in Europe. Like, I'm completely on board that message. So for me, like, you've got to take the rough with a smooth. If you want me to be honest about how great we are and how well we're doing as Quins, 
completely like that's what I'm going to do but similarly when we get things wrong I'm also going to tell you and it's up to you how you deal with that information and you know so far I mean I'm still playing games so I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't be that bad at talking <laughs> so what have been your own personal sort of sporting highlights like for you as opposed to generally in 2022 2022 I would say my highlight would have been being selected for the World Cup so last autumn's internationals for rugby I wasn't picked in the team and if the World Cup was to go ahead when it's supposed to for me I probably wouldn't have been in the World Cup squad because I wasn't in the team this time last year and um, so yeah making the World Cup squad was was special for me and then again the elite athlete disease you always want more I got picked I was like right okay well now I want to play like, I would have been happy to just go, but now I'm here, I want to play. So then it was to play, and then eventually got to play in the final. So, yeah, my, my ultimate 2022 rugby highlight is playing in the World Cup final at Eden Park against New Zealand in a 42,000-seater stadium. Full. Amazing. What about in the wider world of sport? And I think it's, it's, there's been, obviously, one thing that has kind of been the highlight for most people in terms of women's sport this year, but maybe you'll have a different answer. I don't no, know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, <laughs> we're going to go with the company line, mainly because I was there and I watched it fill up. So we're talking about the Euros at Wembley. Yeah. And it was even in the lead-up to that final. So I know those tickets were sold out to the final long before England yeah, yeah. were we're in it but as soon as England are in it everyone wants to buy a ticket mm. and seeing the price of some of those tickets as much as it's not good for a fan it, it just it shows how far the women's game has come along and, and has the potential to keep growing because they still could sell up numbers for their premiership their women's super league premiership games but it was yeah being in the stadium watching it fill up and I thought surely not like surely they've blocked out a stand so actually even though it's an 87,000 seater They've probably blocked off about 20,000 seats because they couldn't fit it for Selim. Mm. Um, and in my head, I was getting angry. I was like, and if they have done that, I am fuming. <laughs> I know hundreds of people are trying to buy tickets. I'm fuming. So I sort of stood there in my high horse and there was a massive block empty. I was like, see, I knew it. I knew they'd done it. They blocked it out. But eventually that filled up and apparently it's like you wait for a fresh shoes to have their dinner and then come out, etc. Yeah. But yeah, just watching it fill up was actually the special moment for me. Winning was obviously pretty cool as well. Mm. But just watching 87,000 people pour in to Wembley Stadium to watch women play football. And did you... I, I asked Heather Knight this as well, because I, I was working that day and I was watching it while I was at work and uh, I had a little cry. Did you have a little cry? I don't think so. No? No, not that I recall. <laughs> no, it was just a lot of shouting and trying to film some stuff. And actually, that's not a good idea, trying to film, because then you lost, you get lost and you're not in the moment. Yeah. So I do regret filming, trying to film some goals. But no, I didn't cry, but it was... Um, yeah, lots of cheering and jumping and, and hugging people that I've never met before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are you looking forward to in 2023? What, what's coming up for you? Uh, the biggest thing would be Six Nations next year is where we have our first standalone game as an England women's team against France at Twickenham. Yes. And whilst we have played there as a women's team, it's always been before or after a men's game. So yeah, next April we'll be playing against France by ourselves and most importantly we get access to the main changing room so normally when we play there before after men's we're just in the side changing room but if we're it's just us there it's it's a really nice changing room is it it's a it's a big deal yeah there's like ice baths hot tubs everything oh, wow. you're in a little cubby hole yeah. and you don't get that normally no 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 <laughs> unfortunately not no i believe that tickets are already available for that match yeah yeah so they're already available they've sold over twenty thousand seats so far and like things like hospitality they're doing hospitality for it so it's full whack like it's full effort into twickenham and i'm just going to put it out there and say they want about fifty thousand. that's not an rfu line it's not an england rugby line that's a shauna brown being ambitious (laughs) what fifty thousand people in there watching us play rugby against france hopefully beating france Buy a ticket, because that, that'll be a good match against France as well, won't it? That'll oh, yeah, a... I always forget that. There's actually going to be some great rugby too. It'll, that'll be like, you know, it'll be a competitive match. Yeah, it'll be a very competitive and it's usually the Six Nations decider. So it'll be a great family day out as well, which is why my family come along. We're not a rugby family, so I'm not sure they've got a clue about any of the rules still, how many people play, how long they play for. But it, if you are a rugby-playing fan, come and watch that game. If you're not going to watch any other game that year, this year, next year, 2023 watch England versus France at Twickenham end of April Shauna thank you very much thank you 
I'm joined by Orla Shenoui, Eurosport presenter and all-round cycling. I'm not going to call you an expert. I've literally just told you I'm not (laughs) going to call you an expert. But person, journalist. (laughs) Person's good for me. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you very much for joining me, Orla. Thank you for having me. I wanted to talk to you first of all about, because it's been quite a big year for women's cycling particularly. 2022 saw the inaugural women's tour de france which is a kind of i mean this is a big deal right but it is kind of very much compared to the men's a bit of a watered down tour would you say yeah i mean yes and no i think on the surface of it that's how it would look it is in my opinion entirely where we should be uh with not just women cycling but to be perfectly honest if you were to start from scratch today with cycling you would never invent a three-week grand tour (laughs) for the men or the women it is absolutely bonkers and the thing is um women's cycling has evolved so much in the last six years they don't have yet the size of teams that you would need to be able to run a full racing program that would allow you to be able to focus entirely on a three-week tour de france there's no call for it. You know, there isn't a demand from within women's cycling for a three-week Tour de France. It's not necessary. The one week that we had this year was absolutely magnificent. And so I'd be a bit reluctant to say in any way that because it's shorter, it means that A, the women aren't good enough to be able to do it, or B, there needs to be, for there to be equality, there needs to be a three-week Tour de France. What we need is a platform. We need the visibility. We need the racing to be staged and to be shown live on television, which it was, and that's magnificent. And there is a danger in any sport, I guess, of comparing like for like as if they are like for like, but it's apples and pears. They're two different sports. Um, to have a Tour de France femme, which is what we call this race, because there has been tours de france for women in the past this is the very first tour de france fan which is a reboot to have that has been incredible for the sport and i say that as someone who's quite reluctant to celebrate it too much whenever it came on board because i felt we didn't need that comparison with the men however it's been a huge success a huge success and i'm happy to hold my hand up and say i was completely wrong what do i know Because there is, we do know women can do it because there is the a group of women. I've had someone who organises it on the podcast before and I'm kicking myself now because I can't remember the name of it, but there is a group of women who do do the men's race yeah, every yeah. year. But I guess, I mean, they're, they're not professionals, are they? I don't think. I no, think. they're not professionals and it's very different. It's not about, I think we get bogged mm. down with this sometimes. It's not about whether the woman can do it or not. It's what's good for the sport. It's what makes for a good spectacle. There is a reason that men's cycling is quite difficult sometimes to market and to promote because there are lots of periods where there's not very much happening. Mm. And is that how we want to create a sport? Because that's essentially what we're doing with women's cycling. There's a there's a very rich and strong heritage and history in women's cycling. However, we do have the massive advantage of it only becoming properly professionalised, and, and I say that in inverted commas because we're still a long way off, but we've had the Women's World Tour now since 2016. We're in this really privileged position of not making the same mistakes as the men did. Mm. And so just because the men do a three-week Tour de France, is it the greatest sporting spectacle? I would say actually it is because I absolutely love it. <laughs> but a three-week race where you can have four to five hours a day with not very much happening in a sprint stage, for example, where there's no crosswinds and no incidents happening, and it comes down to the last couple of kilometres, is that the best way to showcase the sport? No, quite frankly. And there's a big debate within men's racing as to what they can do to make it more dynamic. What we had with the women's race was a full week of thrilling racing that that we were able to enjoy. There wasn't really much downtime in that racing, and that's because you're not having to conserve your energy for the full three weeks. So yes, they can do it. But like a lot of things in life, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm. Not necessarily. Can you talk to us a little bit about the state of British cycling at the moment? Like what's that looking like on the women's side of things? Because obviously we had Lizzie Deegan who wasn't in this year's tour because she's on maternity leave. Are there any other kind of big names that we should be looking oh, out for? Massive, massive. So yeah, Lizzie Dignan is is the current, I almost hesitate to say, the godmother of 
um, current British cycling because I don't want to be putting her in a bracket that means she'll be retiring anytime soon because mm-hmm. she's not going to. She's coming back next year. The plan is for her to come back in the spring after her second child. So mm-hmm. she's currently breastfeeding as she's training, which is phenomenal. But we have such a healthy bunch of girls coming underneath not least of whom is Zoe Backstead, who is an absolute phenomenon. And I would urge any of your listeners who've never come across Zoe to Google her, to keep your eye on her and to pepper her name into conversations to make it sound like you always knew what you were talking about (laughs) all along. Because she is quite simply remarkable. She is a world champion across multiple disciplines, she recently retained her um, under 18 world title um, in the recent world championships on her 18th birthday. She is simply one of the best talents that the sporting world has. She's well, she's from a very um, strong cycling family. Her elder sister, Eleanor, is also a cyclist. Um, her mother and father were both professional, very successful cyclists. But she's one of many. We've got Pfeiffer Georgie as well, who is an exceptional talent. We've got many riders across different teams throughout Europe, throughout the world, actually, in the United States as well, which is really nice thing because in the men's side of things, for a long time, it felt like we had this consolidation of, of British talent within Team Sky as it was, mm-hmm. Team Ineos as it now is. We don't have and never have had a, a Team Sky or Team Ineos for women but it means that they're spread out amongst um, the different teams and I think that's quite healthy really because you learn different things from different cultures but there's a very strong group of British uh, female talent coming through and it's in a very healthy position on the road actually it's brilliant it's really exciting to watch. Are we anywhere near kind of like rivaling the Dutch because they're they're the ones to sort of look out for at the (laughs) moment aren't they? Yeah, it's really hard to rival the Dutch, if I've got to be totally honest. I mean, the British squad are doing exceptionally well, though, exceptionally well, and the juniors in particular. The Dutch have such a strong tradition of women cycling. I say women's in particular, but they do, they do have men's and women's. It's very but flat, the, the women. to be fair. It's a, it's a good place to learn, right? <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, they win up mountains. Yes, that's true. You know? Yeah. So you've got Annemiek van Vleuten, who is, again, the world champion, who won the inaugural Tour de France fam. She wins on mountains, and she only wins when it's harder than any other stages because she is the strongest. I mean, the thing that the Dutch have, and, you know, we joke about the flat terrain here, but I live in Amsterdam, and I've lived here for four years. It is brutal to cycle here because it's so flat. Ironically, the wind just knocks you over because there's nothing to break there are no natural barriers to break that wind so you've always got either a headwind or a a crosswind never have I come across a Dutch tailwind I don't know why it's never behind me (laughs) but it's always either in my face straight on or in my face to the side it's brutal but what they do have here as well is visibility the Dutch have a really strong tradition of cycling and so that means you will see Dutch cyclists on the back pages and sometimes on the front pages of newspapers and you're not always having to fight for against football to get that Mm. exposure so they celebrate their cyclists in a really strong positive way which means that young girls see that as being a potential I wouldn't even say career path it's just something that they look at and they say that looks like a lot of fun I'm going to give that a go Mm. you know and they've got a lot of cyclocross success as well and you know across the multiple disciplines track as well but it, as, as much as anything else, it is that infrastructure. It's having that system, the club system that feeds right through to the elites. They do have a Dutch women's team, a professional team. Jumbo Visma is a Dutch-based yeah. um, team. But it's that visibility. And that's, I think, something that we still struggle with massively in the UK. Massively. I do think there is such a responsibility on sports journalists to cover sports that aren't the mainstream sports. Basically, that, that aren't football rugby cricket maybe a bit of tennis you know and I think it's a real shame having grown up in the UK as someone who is so my my outlook was always um UK and Ireland because of dual nationality it was always from from the Irish side of things always the Gaelic football from the UK side of things it was always the soccer football it's really difficult to then put yourself in a bracket of being sporty or interested in sport if they're not your sports because you think well that's not for me then I was a track and field athlete as a kid 
and I loved it, but I couldn't I couldn't find any role models beyond the Olympics. So it was never a realistic thing for me. It was always very niche. And I do I, I do wish that we saw that as more of a responsibility rather than feeding the same old beasts all the time. We can grow other sports, which is good for society. It's good for communities and for community clubs. It's good for kids. Um, it's good for everyone, basically. I think we all just get sucked in all the time by the same old easy stories and the same old easy headlines, really. Oh my God, Laura, 100%. 100%. I, I love football, um, but I absolutely agree with you. I did, you know, I wasn't a sporty kid. I only came to sport in my late 20s, early 30s. I could have been sporty, but no one showed me that these sports existed. Yeah. So I yeah. didn't try them. <laughs> the mainstream media is so saturated by football. If you don't like that, where else is there for you to go? Yeah. Absolutely. I find it, I find it shocking sometimes if I'm totally honest shocking that the sports pages are football that's not sport that's football they're football pages you know and then you've got a little smattering of a couple of column inches of other sports but we've got to be realistic we talk about sports coverage as if it's sports coverage it's not it's football coverage let's be honest about it it's gossip it's a lot of it yes. a lot of it is an awful lot of it is gossip an yeah. injury update all the rest you know, it's just the kind of thing that unless you're obsessive about football, will never bring you into that sport, never mind any other sports. Mm. And if you if you look at some of the stories that you get from other sports, cycling, for example, and obviously, I was going to say I'm biased, but there's a reason I got into cycling. I wasn't a cyclist as a kid. I came to it through my job. And I found it fascinating because of the fabric of stories that's involved, especially with women cycling. You've got people who have gone through their degrees and they work part-time in as doctors in hospitals and you've got mothers and you've just got so many different kinds of stories. I'm, I'm going to do this launch with Jumbo Visma actually. And, and, and they have, uh, they take skiers into their team and speed skaters into their team. And there's this cross high sort of cross pollination of different sports. It just makes it more interesting. You know, it makes, it makes everybody that bit more human rather than these factories of footballers that frankly, or me, I love football. I was obsessed with it as a girl. I've been obsessed with the World Cup. I just don't want that as being my only sport. And I feel mm. like if you say that, you're, you sound like you're anti-football. I'm not. I'm just pro-sport. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with you. So, I, I mean, I'm very hopeful then that the answer you're going to give to this question is going to be different to everyone else's because <laughs> there has been a running theme here, Orla. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, no. Is it the woman? Has everybody else said the Euros? Yeah. What's been uh, your highlight of, no, of no, no, the no. year? Uh, actually, my highlight, typically, because I'm a bit awkward like that, was on the very same day as the Euros, but it wasn't the Euros. <laughs> <laughs> While everybody else is looking at the Euros, to be fair, a large part of the sporting world was also looking in my direction, which was to the final stage of the Tour de France fam, which we have been discussing. So mm -hmm. this reboot of the Women's Tour de France. And I've got to tell you, I've never, I've never cried in a studio environment watching sport before. Maybe because my team is Ireland and we don't win an awful mm -hmm. lot beyond rugby. But sitting in the studio watching the final stage of the Tour de France um, um, getting ready to go on air for our post-show, I was gasping for air, to be honest. I was so, so emotional with not just the racing. I felt so proud of the riders for a start. They've been through so much to even get a minimum salary. You know, they've, they've given so much to their sport. And I really wish that they just had to ride their bikes, you know, and they were just having to be professional. But they've got to fight for all this extra stuff on the side that isn't extra normally. It should be their bread and butter. So I felt so proud of the fact they put on such an incredible display. I felt so happy that we'd gotten to watch the whole um, race. I say it was um, live on television. It wasn't start to finish, but we got to watch a lot of the racing live every day. But really what, overwhelmed me more than anything was the final stage was up uh, this really steep climb called La Planche des Belles and I've walked up La Planche des Belles and I'm telling you you get calf burn even getting halfway up the last little section of it that climb was lined on both sides of the road with fans now often in women's cycling the women's race has come on the same day as the men's and it will be before some races most recently have them after but regardless often apart from the women's tour which is the UK stage race 
often they're on the same day. So the fans are there anyway. For the Tour de France fam, it came a week after the Tour de France. It started on the final day of the men's Tour de France and kept going for a week. So every single fan who's by the side of the road for the Tour de France fam was there to watch women's cycling. The entire road, the entire climb was completely lined with fans who had turned up to watch women's racing, not as a pre-show, not as an after-show, not as a warm-up, not as a final celebration. It was to watch and celebrate and savour women's cycling. And there was this one bend on that final climb and there was a little girl who caught my eye because she kept appearing in on the side of the screen in television coverage because she was right in front of a camera that was pointing up towards the final climb and right in front of another camera that was pointing down the way. So you could see her on both camera angles and her head was whipping left to right, left to right, and this ponytail shaking in the wind. And I just felt so overwhelmed by the fact that that little girl, for a start, her parents, I presume it was her parents, took her up. Um, set out plans the night before to take a mm. picnic and water and sun cream because it was scorching hot and um, get the right shoes and leave on time to get that spot. And she will have stood there thinking, knowing that that was normal, that it was completely the norm to be there to watch women's racing. And I look back to, as I said a moment ago, when I was little and I and I was a, a track and field fanatic and Sonia Sullivan and Sally Gunnell were my absolute mm. heroes. And I got to watch them really once every four years at the Olympics. And beyond that, there was nothing. I, I was still a sporting fan. So I watched, I was obsessed with Gaelic football. I was obsessed, obsessed with soccer football, but it was all men's sport. And to realise how far we had come in my short lifetime. I mean, it's a fairly long lifetime at this stage, but still. Um, but how, how different the world now is for little girls growing up to see that as normal and my little girl being one of them my son being one of them because I talk to him about female athletes all the time just really really overwhelmed me and so that whole event really is what convinced me and made me realize that the Tour de France fam really mattered that having a woman's Tour de France in some format was huge and that's why it really doesn't matter whether it's three weeks or one week the important thing is that it's incredibly exciting racing because it is because Women's racing is entirely different to men's racing. It's much more dynamic. It's much more punchy. It's much more aggressive. It's much less defensive, partly because the races are shorter. But we had that. And we had the chance to celebrate and have the spectacle. And I did the show. And, and I, I apologize because there's a little bit of Euros in there. But I um, then we finished off the show. And I've been mm -hmm. away from home for four and a half weeks. So I, I was dashing to the airport to get home to my kids. And one of my best friends here in Amsterdam is massively involved in women's cycling, Rianne. And she had well, the two girls together, my daughter and her daughter. And they'd been watching the women's racing earlier in the day. And then she sent me a picture of them watching the Euro final. Mm. And my entire timeline was filled, filled page after page after page after page with women's sport. And it really genuinely felt like a sea change for me because of that. For me, the Euros was the add-on. That was the, the cherry on the cake, if you like. It was a fact that in the sport that I have shouted about for such a long time to try to get some sort of equality, it felt like we turned a corner in some way. There's still so much work to be done, but it was magnificent. And the race was worthy of the occasion. And the winner, Annemiek van Vleuten, was, was more than worthy of the occasion. Um, so that for me was not just the highlight of my sporting year. It's one of the highlights of my sporting life, I would say, that that day, that afternoon and that memory and, and being in tears and having something good to cry about it was just beautiful so can i ask you all what are you excited for next year oh i am excited to be honest to watch the twitter france fam mm -hmm. again the uh, there have been some incredible women's races over the last couple of years we've had two editions of the paris roubaix fam as well which is a one-day race mm -hmm. which is absolute carnage i mean it's horrific it's the they call it the hell of the north and it's over these um cobbled roads and if anybody got to see human playground i think it's called isn't it on netflix it was narrated by idris elba they covered ellen van dyke's journey a, a dutch rider through the very first um pyro bay fam in episode one if you get a chance to catch that episode you'll see what i mean about this race because it is beautiful and brutal and 
everything that you want from sport. Maybe a bit too brutal at times, but it is wonderful. So uh, they're the two races that I'm most looking forward to, as well as we have a festival of cycling, essentially, at the end of the summer, which is the World Championships in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. But it's the first time that they're bringing together all the World Championship disciplines in cycling. So it's going to be an absolute feast of sport, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, it's going to be a big, big year. On a personal level, I'm I'm doing something fun. I mean, I'm, I'm planning to still do all my Eurosport stuff and I can't wait to get stuff back in again, building up to Olympic year. But I'm also launching a new venture of my own, which I'm really, I can't say too much about, but I'm really, really, really excited about it. Um, and if anybody's interested, you can follow me on at Sports Forla on Instagram but it's something that I'm hoping what people can get a lot out of. I'm, I'm doing something that sort of, I hope embodies a bit of my energy and my passion and my positivity with life. And I want to share a lot of that with people. So that's something else that I'm beyond excited about because I've never done anything like it and terrified at the same time. But it's going to be a big year. It's going to be a really big year. So I've already, my mother has been over because I was telling you before we started recording, my little one had his appendix out last week. My mother was over helping out at the last minute. She left this morning and we were coordinating diaries because she flies over to help me whenever I'm out of the country. And I was like, oh man, it's going to be such a big year again, mom. You're going to be over in Amsterdam so much. But it's it's all wonderful things to look forward to. <laughs> Orla, uh, thank you so much. We can follow you on Instagram, you just said, at Sports Orla. Are you on, on the hellscape of Twitter? Can we follow you on there? I am, I am. And I'm on that sort of watch and wait situation with everybody else. What's going on with that platform? I'm still there, I'm still there. And I'm at Sports Orla there as well. So you can find me there too. And I'll, and I'll be tweeting about everything that I'm up to as well. Thank you so much for joining me. Come back and talk to us about the Tour de France Femme next year, if, if I'd you love will. To. It'd be great to hear more about what's going on in women's cycling. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Thank you. Standard issue for all women.